For the past couple of months, as Jeff mentioned, our church has been going through the book of Isaiah, and we will be picking that up again next Sunday. This week, however, is uh, what we at Grace Fellowship Church call an open sermon. That means I can preach on whatever I want to, and uh, it's kind of dangerous. But uh, this morning, we're going to be taking a look at what is one of my absolute favorite passages in the entire Bible, and that's going to be in Judges chapter 6. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there. And if you have one of the church Bibles, that's on page 132, Judges chapter 6. Judges is a truly fascinating book. It's full of uh, wicked bad guys and heroic good guys. But one especially noteworthy characteristic of all of the heroes of Judges is that most of them also happen to be dingoes. And Gideon is no exception. And here's what I love most about Judges. If someone were to write a story about our lives, those of us in this church even, I think the very bravest of us would fit in right among those ding-dongs. I'm just trying to be honest. I uh, Later this month, it's now July, I turn 39 years old. I've been a Christian, thank you. I've been a Christian for 20 of those, half my life now. And I've been in full-time ministry for 16 years. I've been an elder in this church for about nine, and I was recently selected as our first executive pastor. I've been married for almost 11 years, and I'm raising four young boys. So you'd think that I've had figured out a few things by now, and I suppose that I have. But more often than not, I feel like I have absolutely no idea what I'm doing. And You know, it seems like every time I think I've figured something out, whether it be parenting or counseling or home repair, uh, it turns out to be far more complicated than I thought, and I have to learn it all over again. Do you guys ever feel that way? You ever feel like life is just too big for you? If you're like me, you often feel like you should just be better at all of this than you are. Yet, if you're a Christian here this morning, we are those whom God has chosen to save the world. How does that work? My proposal is this, and is the main point of the text and uh, of my sermon today. We are more than we are because of who the Lord is. And I think we'll see that this morning as we take a look at the calling of Gideon in Judges chapter 6. So you can follow along in your outline. We're going to talk about the villains. And let me read... Judges 6, 1 through 10. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel, and because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and in the caves and in the strongholds. For whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. They would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel and no sheep or ox or donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents and they would come like locusts in number. Both they and their camels could not be counted so that they laid waste the land as they came in. And Israel was brought very low because of Midian. And the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. When the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel. And he said to them, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of bondage. 
And I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you, gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. What's happening here? Verse 3 tells us the massive armies of Midian and their allies are coming in and devouring Israel's crops and stealing their livestock. And verse 1 tells us that this happened every year for seven years. In response, Israel was devastated and calls out to the Lord in verses 6 and 7. It took them seven years, but they did it. And why did it take seven years? We're not told explicitly, but it's likely they spent the other six plus years crying out to other gods who did not answer. This is all happening, according to verse one, because the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian for seven years. In other words, this was God's explicit doing. Why? Why would God trash his people like this? We're told why in verses 8 through 10, God commanded that his people not fear, that is, worship or serve the gods of the Amorites in whose land they now dwelt. But Israel, being Israel, did not obey him. Instead, they feared and worshipped and served those Amorite gods. But the Lord, being the Lord, rescues them anyway. Let's take a look at the very strange way how he chooses to do that. This is the hero in your outlines, hero in quotes. Let me read the rest of our passage. This is verses 11 through 27. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under a terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abiezrite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Gideon said to him, Please, sir. If, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you. And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the, is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And he said to him, If now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speaks with me. Please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring out my present and set it before you. And he said, I will stay till you return. So Gideon went into his home, his house, and prepared a young goat, and unleavened cakes, and an ephah of flour. The meat he put in a basket, and the broth he put in a pot, and brought them to him under the terebinth and presented them. And the angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened cakes and put them on this rock, and pour the broth over them. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord reached out the tip of his staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened cake, and fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the flesh and the unleavened cakes. And the angel of the Lord vanished. From his sight. Then Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. And Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace be to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it 
the Lord is peace. To this day, it stands, still stands at Ophrah, which belongs to the Abiezrites. That night, the Lord said to him, take your father's bull and the second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the Asherah that is beside it and build an altar to the Lord your God on top of the stronghold here with stones laid in due order. Then take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah that you have cut down. So Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord had told him. But because he was too afraid of his family and of the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. So what do we learn about Gideon, our hero? Five things that we're going to cover in our sermon today. Number one, lots of blanks, Gideon is from a pagan family. Gideon is from a pagan family. His father, Joash, worships foreign gods. He has his own altar of Baal and an Asherah pole beside it. Now, this is not unusual given Israel's current state of relationship with the Lord, but it was still an abomination to the Lord and should not have been. In fact, there were probably regular family devotions done around these idols for at least the past seven years, and Gideon would have participated in those, those family devotions. Can you relate to Gideon? Many of us, like Gideon, either grew up not knowing the Lord or thinking we knew him while simultaneously having pizza parties around our Asherah poles. And those habits die hard. Now, even if you don't have a physical idol sitting at your house that you bow down to, it doesn't mean that you don't have the same pagan tendencies. Perhaps you have an idol of escapism. When something's hard, you escape to other pleasures. Your tendency is to take advantage of every opportunity that comes your way so long as you don't need to do whatever that thing is that feels so big. You need to have a hard conversation with a friend or coworker, for example, but you find yourself scrolling through Facebook or browsing Amazon instead. Or perhaps there's a half-finished home project that's remained half-finished for as long as your kids can remember. If that sounds familiar, watch out. You may have an idol of escapism. Or you may have an idol of approval. Do you regularly feel compulsion to have the affirmation of your friends, your spouse, your boss, your parents, maybe even your children, rather than the Lord? Do you find yourself saying something or not saying something because you're afraid of what others will think? Perhaps at this very moment, you're wondering what the person sitting next to you thinks about you. If that sounds familiar, watch out. You may have an idol of approval. One more I'll mention, that's the idol of performance. You think of yourself as diligent and hardworking. You want to be the best. You want to produce the best. And you want others to notice that you are the best. And so you do everything that's asked of you, often staying late to do just a little more. And if that sounds like you, or if the person sitting next to you right now is elbowing you, you may have a performance idol. Friends, all of us have pagan roots that go down deep. We have our idols. We know we shouldn't, but we do. And we often bow down to them, just like Gideon and his family. That's number one. Number two is that Gideon is a survivor. Gideon is, is a survivor. According to verse 11 here, Gideon 
knows that Midian will come for his family's crops this year, just as they have for the past seven years. So he's beating out wheat in the wine press. Okay, now pro-agricultural tip here. You don't beat out the wheat in the wine press. Okay, they don't call it a wheat press. It's a wine press. That's not where you do it. But that's, that's actually smart. Gideon is a survivor, and he has a plan for staying out of the way of the bad guys. But he's not a survivor because he's fought and won. He's a survivor because he's never entered the battle at all. He just wants to keep his head down and just get through the day, you know? And aren't we a lot like Gideon? For we modern Americans, our Midianite attacks come under the banner, I think, of causing offense, right? For as long as you can remember, it's been our reality, and we're terrified of it. What I mean is that everything in us screams to never mention Jesus or sin or hell or judgment because it might offend someone. And then our entire crop will be lost. We'll be outcasts, and people won't like us, or worse. Is it easier to hide? Keep our heads down. Yeah, we may spend the rest of our days in the proverbial wine press, but at least we're alive, you know? Everyone likes us, and no one's offended. Yeah, like our hero, Gideon, we're survivors. Number three, Gideon is slow to believe. Gideon is slow to believe. First off, even though according to verse 8, a prophet had come and told Israel exactly why all this was happening, Gideon either didn't believe it or hadn't heard about it. Look at verse 13. What does Gideon say? Why has this happened to us? Where are God's wonderful deeds? And even though in verse 17... Gideon is clearly aware that he's talking to God. He still wants a sign. So he puts together his own little sacrifice and fire from the rock, burns it up, and the angel disappears. Then Gideon gets it. So he did believe, but he's slow to believe. And again, friends, I ask you, can you relate to Gideon? Like Gideon, I think we wallow in questions of why God isn't doing anything and why he's not answering our prayers like he promised. Why has all of this happened to us? Where are his wonderful deeds? And even though God has done countless miraculous works in our lives and answered so many prayers on top of providing food and clothing and, and, and high-speed internet for our smartphones... We, day after day, question and def- you know, whether he's there. We default to assuming he's not and that he doesn't care. But his grace is everywhere. But we don't, we don't pray to him because he's not there. And we don't ask him for help. We just do it all ourselves because he's not there and he doesn't care. And, and we don't communicate passion for Jesus because we don't see ourselves his wonderful deeds. And we don't encourage our brothers and sisters with the gospel of Christ because we ourselves are constantly wondering, where are his wonderful deeds? Why has this happened to us? Friends, like Gideon, we are slow to believe. Number four, Gideon is scared to obey God. Gideon is scared to obey God. And this is shown in two ways. First, 
after Gideon pumps the angel with questions about why God isn't acting, God responds in verse 14 with these words. Go and save Israel from Midian. Do I not send you? I love this. I love this. Gideon's complaining a bit about God not saving, right? And so God says, you want me to save? Okay, I'm going to use you to do it. And how does Gideon respond? I, uh, yeah, no. Uh, see, I, I'm from the smallest clan. I'm the smallest in my father's house. And really, I mean, I've made a mess out of this wine press. I got to clean this thing up. And, you know, I'm busy for at least the next few weeks, at least. So thanks, but no thanks. Wrong guy. He's all quick to complain until God gives him a command and he's not quite ready suddenly to put his money where his mouth is. And that's just the first way he was scared to obey God. The second happens after Gideon builds God an altar, but God is not ready to share. So he tells Gideon to go and tear down the other altars and replace them with an altar to the true God. Now, Gideon does do that, but the text tells us that he does it at night out of fear. He was scared to obey God. All right, you know what I'm going to ask, right? Can you guys relate to Gideon? We're all quick to complain about what God is or isn't doing. And when we're finally done complaining to God, he says, all right, I'll be with you. Let's do this thing. Let's go talk with your neighbor about Jesus. Let's go resolve that long-standing conflict with a friend. Let's go on that missions trip. But then suddenly we remember there's a new season of our favorite show on Netflix. Or we got chores to do. Or any of 100 other excuses. I mean, we're the least in our father's house, aren't we? And also, like Gideon, even when we do obey, we often do just enough. Just as Gideon obeyed, but at night, as non-publicly as he possibly could, so our tendency is to ask what the minimums are and just do barely that. For example, think of someone you know right now in your lives who is struggling with some pretty intense sin. You probably know at least somebody. Maybe it's a sin you're especially uncomfortable with. Let's say pornography or some other form of addiction. Do you go all in, offering to stand with that person through thick and thin, no matter what, in order to help? Or do you just say you'll pray for them and move on? Or do you wonder how little you can give to the church or how little you can serve at the church while still pleasing God and while still remaining a member and without Tom sending you an email saying, what's up? That's not wisdom, friends. That's fear. Friends, please know that I'm not saying these things to condemn. I'm putting myself right there with you. And I I decided this morning I'm going to share with you the, the one I'm most embarrassed about, which I don't even know if most of you guys know, but I used to be terrified of babies. I'm, I was terrified of babies. I didn't know what to do with them, and I was really scared to tell anybody that. Like, what if they poop? I had no idea. Like, I know there's a diaper change involved, but I don't know how to do that. And, and what if they cry? How do you make them happy? And you feed them stuff, but then they can choke on it? Like, I didn't know what to do. I really didn't. Who's scared of babies? And so I had this double whammy, two-layered fear because I was scared of A, babies, and B, telling people that I was scared of babies. And so I come up with reason after reason, week after week, why I couldn't serve in the nursery. This is well before this building. This is, this is years ago. And, and I just would never confess that. I was so scared. But can you relate? I mean, can you, can, are there things you're scared of? Even ridiculous things like being scared of babies that 
you're just too scared to do or even talk about, even tell people that this is a thing. Friends, we're all afraid. You and I, like Gideon, are scared to obey God. And so we wait as long as possible, and then we tear down the idols by night. So, turns out we're a lot like Gideon, aren't we? Gideon's from a pagan family. He's got issues. He's got idols. Gideon is a survivor, a cowardly one, who's, you know, avoids confrontation and controversy, but he's a survivor nonetheless. Gideon is slow to believe God. He's not the sharpest tool in the shed, and he neglects to look back on God's faithfulness and, and trust him to show up and provide a way out. And Gideon is scared to obey God. His tendency is to back out in fear or do the minimum required. And I think if we're honest, I think that describes many of us in this room. I know it does me. But that leads me to some really good news about our hero, Gideon, and about ourselves. You ready? Number five. Gideon obeyed God. Gideon obeyed God. He did. He really did. Fearful and doubting, perhaps, but he did it. Go, Gideon. Good job, buddy. Listen, the reason that God led Gideon to trounce on Israel, according to verse 10, is because Israel did not obey him. And after seven years, for at least one fearful man, that trend was changing. By God's grace, this messed up, cowardly, slow, and fearful guy was chosen by God and used for his wonderful purposes. And you know what? Like Gideon, God's doing the same thing for you. You know how I know that to be true? I see it happening. I see it happening in this church. Some of you have never led someone to Christ, but you're trying. You're trying right now. You're arranging events and inviting neighbors and trying to tell them about Jesus because you want to trust the Lord and do what he says. Some of you have been struggling with sins and addictions for years. And as long as you can remember, they have consumed your life. But you have started asking friends and neighbors and anyone who will listen for help. Some of you are in positions of leadership that you were never trained in. And yet you stepped up because there was a need. And as a slight aside... As many of you know, the elders have been talking about, for the first time ever, having deacons here at Grace Fellowship. Who thought we'd actually have deacons? And we're about to have deacons. And a while ago, the elders sent you a proposal. Here's what we think it should look like. And we asked for feedback, and we received some, and we incorporated it. And as of today, we have opened up the nomination process for deacons. And you guys can check your inboxes later today, because I'm going to send you some information about how you can make those nominations happen. And that means that before we know it, there's going to be deacons in this church. And there's no one to train them because we've never had them before. And so even even so far, when I've come up to a few of you and I said, hey, what would you think if like, someone nominated you to be the deacon? And I started to explain the job description. Before I even was through with it, you said yes. I mean, when, and then when I, when I said, you know, well, hold on, this, this might be hard. And no one's going to train you, and it's going to take time, and there's lots of unknowns. You actually got more excited. Like, what's wrong with you people? Are you nuts? That's 
crazy. But the thing is, you're actually going to do it. You're going to step up and you're going to obey God. And you may not even know how you're going to do it. And so I'm going to tell you. Ready? This is how you're going to do it. You're going to do it for the exact same reason that Gideon's going to do it. And it's the next point on your outline. The Lord. The Lord is how you're going to do it. And we can know that for two reasons from the text. We're going to cover these. These are the two points in your outline there. The Lord calls the hero by a new name. The Lord calls the hero by a new name. Look at verse 12. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him, Gideon, and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Okay, did you catch that? The author of Judges, and I think the Lord, wants us to read that line and laugh. Okay, because this title, O mighty man of valor, is given just after we're told that Gideon is hiding in a wine press. We then hear Gideon complain at length and make a bunch of excuses, all the while not even being quite sure he's even talking to God, and that's who God calls a mighty man of valor, and and who God commissions by saying, in your might, go and save Israel. What's the point here? Gideon was more than he was, not because of his evident bravery and keen understanding. Gideon was more than he was because of who the Lord is. And friends, you and I are also more than we are because of who the Lord is. Consider with me. As with the call of Gideon, the Lord wants us to think on our situation and laugh. Here's how, here's how Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise, according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. In other words, God didn't choose you for this task because you're the most capable. Goodness, no. He chose you because you're the least. But as you are hiding in your wine presence, feeling overwhelmed and terrified by all that God is calling you to do, God will come to you with a new name too. And I wonder, what new name will he give you? If you have that idol of escapism, you may feel easily defeated and lack confidence. So as you hide in your winepress, might not God call you by the name, O courageous servant of victory? Through you, I will rescue friends and neighbors from hell. Or what if you have the idol of approval? Maybe you feel deeply shy and fearfully awkward at the idea of asking for help with your pornography addiction. But God, will come to you in that moment calling you, O bold ambassador of faith. In your boldness, go, share, confess, and be blessed abundantly. And if you have that idol of performance, perhaps you look over the past months and see it saturated with levels of pride and anger that shock you and your friends and your family. 
Might not God come to you with these words? O humble man of peace, O humble woman of peace, in your humility lay aside your imperfect work and trust in my perfect work instead. Do these things sound impossible? Like, like might not, might not God be talking to the wrong person? You can be certain it sounded that way to Gideon. But both you and he are more than you are because of who the Lord is. And that leads us to our second truth about the Lord. Number two, the Lord is with the hero personally. The Lord is with the hero personally. How does the Lord intend to save Israel? Yes, it's through Gideon, apparently, but look closer. Verse 12, just before God gives Gideon the new title, he says, the Lord is with you. And then in verse 16, just after Gideon's excuses, God says, but I will be with you. And in case that's not enough, which it surely isn't for Gideon, God demonstrates his presence in a tangible, visible way by having Gideon's first mighty deed of valor being the tearing down of the Baal and Asherah poles and replacing them with his own altar. In other words, these so-called gods are out. Now I am with you, and I'm going to show you that every single day. The Lord knows that Gideon can't become more than he is with the Lord's help and then go on without the Lord. After all, that was Israel's problem that got them into this whole Midianite mess in the first place. No, for Gideon to save Israel, he'll need to be more than he is because of who the Lord is, and he's going to need to stay with that mindset each and every day of his life. And brothers and sisters, hear this truth. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, then the Lord is with you so much more personally than he even was with Gideon. Gideon wasn't even sure he was talking to God. But we have the utmost confidence because the Holy Spirit indwells our very hearts and, and reveals God's Son to us every time we bring to mind his word. And Jesus, who has called you and equipped you to minister here at Grace Fellowship Church, has already given you all you need to be used for his purposes in you. And moreover, as God is personally indwelling you, he is working all things together for your good, transforming you into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. So you can be called a courageous servant of victory because Jesus is. And you can be called a bold ambassador of faith because Jesus is. And you can be called a humble man or woman of peace because Jesus is. And you may not be those things yet, but the deposit is placed. It is assured. He is utterly transforming you in such a way that you won't even recognize yourself on the other side of it. He did it for Gideon, and he's doing it for you. You are more than you are because of who the Lord is. So let's talk about you. Last point in your outline, your application. Obey in the midst of fear. That's your application. Obey in the midst 
of fear. Because, listen, Gideon could have done half of what God asked. Or he could have put it off for weeks. Or he could have refused. But he did it, even in the midst of fear. And if you know the rest of Gideon's story, like things like the fleeces and the 300 men and the Midianite dream, you know that Gideon never stopped being fearful. But listen, friends, fear isn't sinful. Even Jesus was fearful in the garden. I'm fearful all the time. You can't avoid being afraid, but be sure to obey in the midst of fear. So when you introduce yourself to someone you don't know after the service today, for example, it's okay to be scared. God has made you more than you are because of who he is. And when you share the good news of Jesus Christ with your unbelieving family this summer for the fifth or the fiftieth time, it's okay to be scared. God has made you more than you are because of who he is. And when you're unsure how you'll get through whatever comes next, it's okay to be scared because God has made you more than you are because of who he is. There's no guarantee, friends, that your plans will work. But it's not about it working. It's about faithfully serving a God who makes us more than we are because of who he is. He'll make it all work out in his time, in his way, by his grace. Trust me, he cares way more about his purposes and his mission than you ever could. You obey and let him worry about everything else.